Welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I'm sitting here with Anna Tashinsky, Andrew Hunter-Murray, and James Harkin. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, and that is Andy. My fact is that one traditional Irish recipe for blancmange involves moss. Here we go. So, this is um, a cool fact about an old Irish pudding. Uh, and it's. That's what they think if you have to say it's cool. Yeah, you have to tell the listener. It's, it's interesting and it's cool. Um, and it's actually from uh, Hakai magazine, which I know you read. That's uh, Anna's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You stole of, my magazine. I know, I'm on your turf already. But basically, there is this pudding, and it's made from a thing called uh, dried carrageen. Okay? Now. It's called moss. It's called Irish moss. It's not actually moss. It's a kind of algae. Mm. And it's brown and crusty stuff when you take it out of the water. You dry Sounds it out. Sounds delicious. <laughs> yeah. And then you have to boil it in milk for 20 minutes. Okay. But the weird thing is, when you boil it in milk, it vomits out this, hu- this huge... This huge. sounds absolutely <laughs> delicious. Look, you're having your own cookery show. <laughs> you're the next Nigella. It sort of vomits out this jelly stuff. Yeah. And mm. and you ha- then, you know, add the sugar and vanilla to make it slightly sweet, and you whisk it all up, and then you let it chill a bit. And <laughs> I just you- love, just going off the uh, Nigella <laughs> analogy, the way that you really, when you said vomiting up, you said it a few times, and you really stressed it. And then when you got to the nice bit of adding some vanilla and sugar like, oh yeah we'll just gloss <laughs> yeah, yeah, over yeah. that that's fine yeah and then you've got your uh, moss blamange and it apparently um <laughs> it's quite crap isn't it, <laughs> well, it? what's um, bad about it i just think it's extremely bland but i think it's good yeah, if you it add is. flavor yeah. to it it doesn't yeah. really okay. taste of any it's some people say it tastes of the sea yes um it's but a, yeah. actually i think it just tastes really bland and they used to give it to sick people didn't they if you yeah. were ill and infirm you might get some of this pudding right uh, it's in a 19th century handbook of invalid cooking by mary boland <laughs> that's one of the early recipes okay, right. uh, and other recipes in that book oatmeal mush Lovely. delicious scraped beef <laughs> scraped beef <laughs> uh, milk lemonade which just sounds <laughs> disgusting to me apart from it contains sherry milk lemonade okay uh, and restorative jelly and the restorative part of that is it has port in it. Oh, okay. So like nice. alcohol jelly kind of thing. I wish we were doing HelloFresh ads in this period where these were the <laughs> recipes that we were advertising. This algae, this this seaweed, how do you pronounce it again, Andy? I said carrageen. Carrageen, yeah. It's, this is one of those stealth things that's in our life in so many different ways that we don't quite recognize. So if you look at the back of the ingredients list on many of the things in your house, you're going to find this as one of the elements. So it's in things like toothpaste. It's in, it's in shampoo and cosmetics. Firefighters use it to get a better foam when they're fighting fires. It's it's part oh, of that. Pro- yeah, it's so it's used cool. in that. It's used in personal lubricants. Um, check mm-hmm. your ingredients at home. Um, <laughs> but it's everywhere. Shoe polish everywhere. It's, laxatives. Yeah. Laxatives. Um, yeah. Helps, helps those slide mm. out. It seems to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's good for helping things slide out. Yeah. 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 But it is very <laughs> controversial. Did you guys read about the rabbit controversy surrounding carrageen? Ooh. Um, well, is this it's... is this athletes? Oh, it's not. Maybe there are two. Oh, no. Okay, okay. Oh, my God. Okay, let's compare controversies. Okay. Uh, this is just that um, it could be very bad for you and cause deadly diseases. It doesn't. Oh. 
but oh. what? Yeah, that <laughs> what was a roller coaster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, a very much a one dead roller coaster. <laughs> um, this is a rumor that goes around in health circles about carrageenan, which uh-huh. is like the extract from the seaweed. Yeah, like from the con- ultra concentrated. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, um, and that is used as we've said in lots of thickness. It's also in like ice cream, cottage cheese, soy milk, things like that. Mm. And um, there was a academic called Joanne Tabakman, who I think is still going campaigning against it, who said a few years ago that it caused all sorts of cancers, Parkinson's, heart disease, things like that. She was actually looking at a different thing. So it turned out someone looked into the study and she was looking at something that was called like... (laughs) Gamma radiation. (laughs) (laughs) A slightly different kind of seaweed. But it spread. And if you go on any like health website, it's Mm. like avoid carrageen. It will give you cancer. It'll give you heart attacks. It'll give you... So don't believe it. It's almost carcinogen. Like the word is very similar, isn't it? Maybe that's what she studied. She looked at carcinogens and said, well, these all cause cancer. (laughs) Next to each other in the (laughs) dictionary. Yeah. 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 um, His Latin name is really fun. It's called Chondus Crispus. Oh, it's just a nice... uh, Chondus Crispus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to hear about the sporting controversy. And I'd like to have a guess of what it might be. Because it's like a slippery thing, right? So maybe they attach it to toboggans when you do bobsled and it makes you fly down the bobsled. That's correct. Mm. That's absolutely oh. right. Is that it? <laughs> yeah, there we go. No, it's or, the, uh, the... here's another version. <laughs> yeah. oh they put a load of it in the swimming pool. Uh, and it thickens up the water <laughs> and it I, means that you can just run across the water in a swimming race that would help everyone though you'd have to put it in one lane of the swimming one lane someone doing the 50 meters <laughs> yeah okay or you could do it in your opponent's lane and yeah, so it yeah, slows yeah. them down they get caught yeah. up yeah. 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 you have to have a lot of carrying to turn water into a solid um, imagine, the, imagine the Olympic swimming pool you've got one beautiful clear lane of water and all the others are blancmange basically <laughs> so um, it's neither of those things. It's neither of those. No, the Australian okay. cricket team have been using it for years <gasps> to. No, they Classic. haven't. No. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad that I believe that. Um, what it is is actually, I don't think it's a controversy. I, I, I jumped the gun a bit. I think it's also been used by athletes and bodybuilders. Although I'm not completely sure in what capacity. Maybe to make them smoother. To Maybe. make them look smoother. That might be it. Yeah. Or <laughs> I, yeah. I really. I said I jumped the gun on it. I really. Okay. But there is. Okay. There. There is a thing. It's an aphrodisiac, which yeah. is good news, but for rats. So okay. okay. Good news okay. for rats. If you fancy rats, rats, rats. Yeah. rats. <laughs> it really. I mean, it really. And it, I think it's a fertility aid. Actually, it ramps up your testicles. Is the phrase I've written ramps down. Up here. Your testicles. You don't want to wow. put ramps up your testicles. That's going to be <laughs> hard. Not to imagine tiny Lilliputians now climbing up wheelchair-friendly <laughs> testicles. <laughs> Fun. What does um, it do? Sorry, to your testicles. It what ramps you them up. What, what, does, what does that mean? So, like the outer coating, or like the it, inner? No, the inner. It makes. The inner the, it gives the sperm a lot more motility. I think makes sperm. the balls bigger, maybe as well. Carrigan <laughs> is responsible for My Fair Lady, the um, um, no. the musical. Really? Well, we'll see. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so <laughs> it was used in medical These are circles. Terrible headlines. These are like those websites. They're like, did you know <laughs> that? And it's just not there. <laughs> <laughs> the controversy of seaweed. <laughs> well, it's used medicinally. Uh, Irish moss okay. it's good for like your throat it's supposed to be good for your throat mm-hmm. uh, in fact there's some evidence that it might stunt the replication of COVID as well oh. um, although that's not certain yet but anyway the person who introduced it into medical use was a guy called Mr. Todd Hunter and Mr. Todd Hunter is more famous as a playwright okay and he did a play called The Land of Heart's Desire 
in Dublin, and it was so bad, so so bad <laughs> that everyone just booed him off. They kept booing him every time he put it on. They booed him off. They booed him off. Was taken off the um, rotor of the playhouse and it was replaced by Arms of the Man which was the first success of George Bernard Shaw <laughs> who went on to write Pygmalion which My Fair Lady was based on yes I was going to guess that yeah yeah, that's yeah. flawless that's I think that does, actually I think that does check out that's great <laughs> I've got it in my I've got it in my notes here I don't yeah. know who wrote these um, <laughs> that Irish Moss saved America mm. um, because there is there was a lot of it uh, grown in the USA and there, in fact, um, there's a, there's a town in it's near Boston. It's called Skituate, um, Skituated, very near Boston. Brilliant. Um, which is the, the, supposedly <laughs> it calls itself the most Irish town in the whole of the USA. About fifty percent of the population there are are Irish. Mm-hmm. And from the 1840s onwards, it was a big site for Irish moss farming, as in they farmed it. Yeah, they you grew get it. It, you know. it. it kind of comes onto the um, to the shore. In yeah. North America and in Europe, doesn't it? Exactly, yeah, yeah. And he saw some in the water and he thought, wait, I know that. I recognise that from when I was in Ireland. Oh. And so he so he set up the industry, basically, this guy who's called Daniel Ward. Anyway, so it became big, big, big industry for this town. During the Second World War, suddenly there was a, th- there was a thing called agar, as in agar jelly, yeah. you know? Mm. Yeah. Um, that was no longer available because that was grown in the Far East. Uh, okay. or sort of, you know, and you need agar to grow bacteria and stuff? Well, it's a thickening agent. Oh, it's yeah. in all sorts of foods. And basically it was no longer available because it was largely grown in Japan and places like that, which uh, were obviously no longer trading with the USA. Irish moss carrageenan basically rocketed in production. Um, in Canada, they made £261,000 in 1941. The next year, they made over £2 million wow. of this stuff really? for use in foods. Yeah, cool. it was a huge deal. And why did it save America? Well, otherwise they would have starved to death. Yeah, everyone. Have well, they wouldn't have had. It, they wouldn't have had pleasant sauces during the war. <laughs> oh well, yeah. Effect that, on morale. Yeah, right. yeah. Is it called the Man in the High Castle, where they imagine that the Germans had won the Second World War? Philip K. Dick. Yep. Yeah. I think we should make a prequel of it, yeah. um, where we actually look at what the reason they lost the mm, war. Yes. and it was because of this lack of agar. Like probably. Agar, that's yeah. probably. Huge, yeah. yeah. That's great. Right. <laughs> so, are you buying that? Um, nope. I... <laughs> you know how we were saying that carrageen was in health food. Um, always has been. Many thousands of years it's been around. Mm. And I came across an article in the New York Times in I think it was uh, like 1904 or something. And it was I just found it really amusing how little the police obviously had to do at this time. So it was a story about how a Romanian gypsy woman had been arrested in Jamaica for charging over $7,000, which was a lot then, for basically Irish moss. It's a lot now for Irish moss. It's how, yeah. <laughs> Don't pay but that But how much Irish, Irish moss. moss are we talking about? It was a very small tincture Ooh, dropped in a glass really? of water. Oh, what? $7,000? Yeah, it's too much, isn't Who's it? Who's the buyer? Well, it was this lady who had a hunchback that she wanted cured. So oh. she employed a healer, this uh, woman who said she was Romanian. Anyway, the healer said she boiled some water. Mm. She covered it with cloth. And she said, look at that water. Don't touch it. Don't move. Don't tell anyone for 24 hours what I've done. And then you'll be cured. And the woman, idiot, ruined the cure by telling her mates. She was like, look, I've employed this doctor, oh, but I'm a bit suspicious about it. the cure because she just told me to like not touch this glass of 24 hours 24 while hours. she goes to the coast and gets the nearest ship with her new $7,000. <laughs> well, no, because she'd only charged like 100 at that point. Oh, so okay. the woman reported it to the police. Two detectives came to her house, hid behind the curtains, and the <laughs> Romanian lady came back to say, you know, okay, that was the first step. Um, now the next step comes and the detective saw her slip some Irish moss into the water ah. and then say, okay, now I'm going to charge you $7,000. And then as right. she was going to hand over 
the money and the details. Okay. The get, detectives jumped up. Do you the get curtain. police doing that that much these days? <clears throat> sort of, we'll come into your house, hide behind your curtains. I, <laughs> I think the, you don't. Common. I think it's a disgrace. Yeah. <laughs> I I want, bring it for back. my taxes, I want policemen <laughs> hiding behind my curtains every day of the week. Yeah. Did she have an exact time she was coming back? How long were the police <laughs> hiding behind the curtains? Just, she, she said went, Wednesday. Passing, <laughs> passing another cup of tea behind the curtains. <laughs> sure. She had to knock so they could just hang out in the kitchen, I suppose. And uh, yeah. like, a, like a surprise party. <laughs> everyone, everyone, quick, quick, quick. Exactly. False alarm. It's an Amazon delivery. <laughs> Did you guys hear about Mim Flynn? Mim Flynn. Mim the, Flynn. I, the Irish mossing queen? No. No. <laughs> she, 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 was, uh, she wasn't a beauty queen or anything. She was the queen of the Irish moss industry because she was a she was a great mosser and she started at the age of nine is a mosser someone who eats it or she harvested it i think she was in um skituate skituate i thought you said she was irish no irish moss oh i see she was the america okay she was the american irish mossing did we not paying attention remember his hilarious pun earlier it's just outside boston yeah i blanked them out too but (laughs) skituated just outside boston I, not hear that? I must not have been here at the time. Yeah, I don't think if I, I think was. There was any evidence? Audio. <laughs> Imagine if I edit out your original thing. <laughs> so, but what? Yeah, give us more about her. Is she? How's she doing? Oh, yeah, I think she's passed away now. Right, but um, Skiduate these days it does have a mossing museum. Cool. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's no longer. Go. Go, it's no longer much of an industry. It's moved overseas. Well, if you're in Skituate and you're wondering what to do. Yeah. yeah. Also, I'm pro- I've probably said Skituate wrong yes. all the way through. That's why so look know. on the map. Don't ask a local. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Get a pair of compasses, put the middle point in Boston, the, and the, the other arm to 30 miles, and um, it'll be on that line. Just follow which, that which circumference. Way? Which way? Well, it'll be coastal. So I only know it's 30 miles outside Boston. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just go 30 miles south of Boston along the coast, and if it's not there, go 60 miles north. <laughs> <laughs> So just on Blamange, oh, we yeah. should talk about the fact that it was only quite recently that it stopped containing meat. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Weird. Okay. So Blamange has been around since, I think the earliest recipe maybe comes from Baghdad in the 10th century, mm. a long time. Um, <laughs> and it was only in the 18th century they thought, let's stop putting chicken in this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, it just sounds so rough. <laughs> they just used chicken <laughs> as basically for the sa- in the same way that they use the seaweed as kind of to make it more gelatinous to make it mm. stringy it had a pleasant stringiness oh, I think lovely um, and you shredded and really pounded up the chicken so it lost all of its flavour I believe and mix it up <laughs> with some almond milk <laughs> and some sugar and some rice and yum and they still eat it in Turkey almost the same thing it oh, seems really? like oh, what, cool. what, what actually with the chicken in still yeah yeah, yeah. Wow. it's called the tavuk gogsu and um, it literally means and I really want English people to have gone and ordered it having done the Google Translate because mm. it literally means chicken breast but you order it and what you get is a blancmange <laughs> <laughs> you look at everything on the menu like oh I can't I don't want that I don't oh chicken breast <laughs> That's safe. What a weird ass chickens do they have in Turkey? <laughs> have you guys heard of Bompus and Par? No. They're a jelly innovation firm and they basically do absolutely mad things with jelly all the time. They're okay. constantly coming up with incredible innovations and, you know, okay. weird flavours. And anyway, I just I've looked through a, a list of all the things they've done over the years. One year for Valentine's Day, they created a jelly which was called Throbber. Oh, boy. T H R O B R. Which I sounds cannot, like an app, doesn't it? It does sound like an app. <laughs> it's amazing what this jelly does. It locks onto your heart rate 
Right. And it pulses what? in it pulses in time with your heart rate How? as you're eating it. How? I don't know. Was it, so if you get very excited as you're eating the jelly, the jelly <laughs> itself will start reflecting that. It, it boom, does boom, feel boom, like boom. that because it's called throbber. Yeah. That perhaps if you got an erection. <laughs> The stiffer your erection, the yeah. stiffer the jelly would get. <laughs> 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 Need a steak knife for this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that when communism fell in Czechoslovakia, the US ambassador in the country was Shirley Temple. <laughs> <laughs> really weird. Person. I think this is amazing. Like some people might know this already. I've spoken to one or two people who have, but to me, Shirley Temple is a child movie star yeah. who basically retired when she was ten years old. Exactly. Uh, but actually, when she got a bit older, when she was forty-four, she became a diplomat and she did loads of stuff for the U.S. She was the first woman to serve as U.S. ambassador to Ghana, uh, but she was also the ambassador in Czechoslovakia in 1989 when the Velvet Revolution happened and the communist regime fell in in what is now Czechia and Slovakia. Yeah. Amazing. It is and amazing. Weirdly, she was sort of there at, towards the start as well, wasn't yeah. she? Well, she thinks one maybe one of the things that helped her get that gig was the fact that in the 60s, she'd been in Czechoslovakia and I think she was working for a, mul- a multiple sclerosis foundation, which is where she oh, got really? her taste for like international diplomacy and stuff. So her brother had MS mm-hmm. and so she founded this organisation. She was doing some international work in Czechoslovakia and she w- happened to be there at the time that the Russians basically invaded to crush the uprising, to crush the Prague Spring. And yeah, she remembers watching from her um, balcony as a woman got gunned down. And that made her think, yeah, I'll take a career in diplomacy. (laughs) Uh, The other thing was that she married her second husband in, I think, in her 30s. And he was an aquaculture engineer and oceanographer. So that also got her to go into the environmental Uh, side of diplomacy. So that was part of it. She's really, I mean, so she, she did have political ambitions outside of being an ambassador. She was a Republican um, candidate. She wanted to run for the House of Representatives in 1967. And she lost out to a guy called Congressman Pete McCloskey. Um, But she obviously had close relationships with the leading Republicans at the time because it was under Gerald Ford that she was the ambassador to Ghana. Um, she she was under Ronald Reagan when she did another of her posts. And then the Czechoslovakia one was George H.W. Bush, yeah. Bush Sr. Mm. Um, she must have been really good mates with them. And you can see <laughs> that this child... Because Shirley Temple really is, even to my generation, I, I used to watch her movies in black and white as a kid. Like did I you? know when, when were you born? Danny, <laughs> <laughs> you, you're 100 years old. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No. But no. Like she's she's still a name that most of us know. I mean, yeah, largely yeah. it might be because of the the drink, the non-alcoholic yeah. mocktail that you can get. Um, but before this, I thought Shirley Temple, old child, sort of like curly hair, child actor, like hugely famous child star, and also non-alcoholic drink. I yeah. only thought Good Ship Lollipop, which was that song that she yeah. sang. Yes. That's but in, basically, all I know. But about in her. a lot of her early films, she preaches fiscal responsibility and the importance <laughs> yeah. of a, a low tax, yeah, small yeah. state. <laughs> so it's kind of unsurprising. That That's true. We yeah. should have seen it actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she was an independent Republican candidate, I think, for the 1967 election to be a part of the U.S. House of Representatives. What does that mean? In I yeah. believe that it means yeah. she was Republican, but she wasn't officially on the ticket. I think. Okay. But I'm not sure about that. Um, but she said during the election, "I think men are fine and here to stay, but I have a hunch that it wouldn't hurt to have a woman's viewpoint expressed in that delegation of 38 men." 
Mm, yeah. Yeah. Too much too soon, right. Shirley. <laughs> <laughs> um, she started, okay, so she's a child actor, as we know, and sort yeah. of like age six, she was already winning like special Oscars that were being mm-hmm. given to yeah, her. Yeah. Like she was a big deal. What's, what, I did not know this. There's something quite seedy about her intro into the world of acting. Nothing against her. Yeah. It's her parents who obviously signed her up. She was three at the time, you know. Um, and it was part of this thing called Baby Burlesques. Yes, it's, uh, it's, it's incredibly weird. Yeah, did you watch it? <laughs> Because I didn't. I did not watch it. No. <laughs> I like to say but the bad news is we've all had our laptops taken away. <laughs> I, I mean, is it online? I assume it's I not. must be oh, somewhere, right? It must be historical. Get, it's because it's, it's quite obscure. It's like early 30s. Mm. I think it's hard. I couldn't find an online version. There's one film which I reckon you could get on YouTube if you tried. Oh, it's on the dark web. So what, yeah, sorry, Dan, you should say what it was Yeah, okay, so it's described by the New York Times As a series of sexually suggestive one-reel shorts In which children played all the roles Yeah, so what it, what it was is Basically they were parodies of films for grown-ups Yeah So at the time, all the, gr- the grown-up stars Were people like Marlena Dietrich and Mae West And they were obviously, you know Very sexy women with very flirtatious dialogue yeah. And these baby burlesques, they kind of did parody versions of these yeah, films yeah. where there are children playing the roles and like sort of... Bugsy Malone, I guess, right? Is like a close uh, yeah, but not with of... like saucy dialogue. <laughs> it's so... I'm, I'm a three year old. So weird. In defence of the olden days, um, <laughs> I think it was God, probably yeah. okay. It was a comedy, and they wore um, so they'd wear sexy outfits on the top half, and then they'd have their nappies on on the bottom <laughs> half, like they're doing kind of a Zoom meeting from home. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it will get made today. No. And the stories that Shirley Temple would tell about it later in her autobiography, where she'd say that if they got in trouble, the kids that were part of this um, production would be sent off to a sound booth where they'd have to sit on a block of ice. Uh, apparently, every night, uh, Shirley Temple's mother would curl her hair into 56 perfect curls. So mm. she would have to sit there and do her hair every single night. Uh, and then she would be read a bedtime story, but the bedtime story was the next day's script that she had to learn and so the mother would read the lines from the script and she'd have to parrot them back and she'd right. keep doing that until she fell asleep so Shirley Temple's mum Gertrude mm. she does sound like um, a, a proper classic good old fashioned Hollywood insane pushy mum as yeah. in yeah. she <laughs> she ensured that other child actors who might threaten her daughter's roles had their had their parts cut <laughs> which parts? <laughs> <laughs> the body parts uh, fingers yeah yeah, yeah well. um, so, and so she, she was very protective very very forceful in getting, getting Shirley you know to fame also one thing she stole from Shirley Temple herself was a year of her life she knocked a year off Shirley Temple's age so Shirley was at her that's actually giving someone an extra year oh my god She's the perfect mum. Um, <laughs> I mean, if my mum could suddenly turn around and say that I'm 35, that'd be great. Well, no, but she wouldn't be. She'd be telling you you're a year, as in, so Shirley yeah, Temple she was, was, older than she she was at her 12th birthday party and her mum said, oh, by the way, you're 13. Ah, well, but when she was nine, <laughs> yeah. they said that she was eight. But that's why, so, her, that's so because it's, a, it's all it's part a, of the same it's story. It's all the same process. Basically, yeah. when she was three or four, her mum thought, oh no, she's getting a bit too old for this whole baby game now. <laughs> yeah. Like she's about to be, no, I think she was about to turn five and a half or something. So her right. mum was like, right, we're going to make her four and a half again. And then oh, Shirley, yeah. from the age of four and a half, thought that she was four and a half, five and a half, six and a half. Mm, yeah. And then it was when she was 12 that her mum went, actually, surprise. Right. Welcome right. to teenagerhood. She's like turning the clock back in the autumn and turning it yeah. forward again in the spring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. So your mum could do this for you, James, but you'd be on borrowed time. 
I'm I'm happy borrowing time <laughs> at this stage of my life. I'm up for borrowing any time I can borrow. Uh, and on the ninth, on her eighth birthday, so she was actually nine, but she was uh, thought she was eight. Mm. Uh, she got 135,000 gifts. Yeah, God. that's amazing. Isn't pretty it? amazing. So, and it was sent to her by fans around the world, right? No, it wasn't all from just her, her mom. parents. Yeah, her mom was. Yeah, <laughs> uh, she got a kangaroo from Australia. That's what? a burden. Anything is it? Well, you can keep other presents in the pouch. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a suitcase. Yeah, yeah. it sounds. Her, her life just sounds insane. Her, As in she, she was the biggest box office star of the year in 1936, 37, and 38, which mm. I think were the years where she was eight, nine, and ten. I yeah. mean. She was. She's the biggest child star that's ever been. There's been yeah. no contest ever since, really. Macaulay she, Culkin is the only other one I can think of. I think in terms of like amount she earned oh, yeah. at the time, the fact that she was the only person anyone wanted in any films mm. in between the ages of three and ten, she was in twenty nine films. Nineteen thirty five, her salary was two thousand five hundred dollars a week. This is when she was seven, six or seven. That was a lot of money in those days. It wasn't just like a third of a tincture of Irish moss. <laughs> God, her house was stuffed with Irish moss, though. Wow. She was also responsible for quite a random bit of cultural input, possibly, and that is the novel The Power and the Glory. Okay. By Graham Greene. And this is because she had sort of a feud with Graham Greene at the age of sort of nine, eight or nine. So funny. (laughs) I want to see. Do you remember in the, was it in the 90s or the early 2000s, they used to have celebrity boxing and like Ricky Gervais fought with, I don't know, some random person. Did they? Yeah, yeah. I don't remember that. Patrick Kilty or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I just want to see Graham Greene (laughs) Shirley Temple. (laughs) Clocking Shirley Temple. That is a pay-per-view I would pay for <laughs> I think I'd back Shirley she was yeah. pretty tough under those ringlets um, he was quite mean about her he wrote a review of her films saying sort of suggesting that she was trained to deliberately be a bit coquettish okay. um, saying she symbolised dimpled depravity she had a well developed rump and suggesting that her films were targeting sleazy middle aged men uh. um, and it's a lot unclear how humorous he was being having read it I don't think he was being that humorous I think it was just a pretty nasty review and then her mum and Fox decided to sue him for slander for saying that for suggesting that yeah. and he according to a friend who wrote a biography of him years later um, he realised that he was about to be sued and so he might go to prison so he fled from England where he was to Mexico which didn't have any extradition rules and in Mexico, that was where he was inspired to write maybe his greatest magnum opus, Power and the Glory, set in Mexico. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. About oppression of Catholics. Wow. As an adult, she broke the um, ice, whatever. She, she sent him a that copy. That she was been sitting on all that time. <laughs> she sent him a copy of her autobiography and oh, she yeah. invited him to tea. So clearly there she, weren't very many hard feelings on her part. Yeah. Well, she was a diplomat, weird. wasn't she? Oh, yeah. There you go. She well, she had things. got £3,500 from Graham Greene in the settlement. I wonder how much she saw of that, though. I, do, I haven't got this written down, but I do, in the course of reading, remember that a lot of the money was taken by the parents and wasn't seen by Shirley. Oh, I've, so, got, I've got the figures. Yeah, what are they? Right, she earned three million two hundred thousand dollars in her acting career mm-hmm. quite a lot of money at the time mm. by the time she was 22 years old 
there was $44,000 left. And was yeah. that because it was depleted by her parents? Or it was her, her dad, right? Yeah. So her dad was a banker, uh, and so he was in charge of all of her money. Um, obviously, her parents, they would be. Yeah. Um, but she never blamed him. She reckons that he got duped. So mm. basically, he made a lot of bad investments because people could mm. see he was making a load of money, and he didn't really, you know, he wasn't the greatest. He left school when he was in seventh grade. He didn't, wasn't the greatest banker of all time. How did he get to be a banker? He's kind of like, <laughs> he was a monopoly banker, basically. Yeah. I'll be the banker. Yeah, great. They should have looked underneath the board. That's where the money would have been. Um, but yeah, she said that she didn't blame him one little bit, and um, it was the people that counseled him who were the bad who guys. Who were the baddies? Okay. Yeah. Just a, quite a nice link between her past and her sort of future. If you're placing <laughs> yourself in 1940, okay, it goes back to this this fact, James's fact at the start of the show. So when communism fell, so basically she never liked references to her history as a child star you know mm. she would say it's not fair everyone everyone was a child how come i'm the only one who as a very high achieving diplomat and politician you know gets labeled as former child star but and- yeah, but not everyone like that club <laughs> havel wasn't uh, in movies <laughs> we, we don't know there might have been some obscure czech films undiscovered with him spouting philosophy age nine yeah. um but she did give them a treat just once. So it was when communism did fall in Czechoslovakia. Big day, very exciting. She mm. called all of her senior staff together, shut the doors, very private room, and apparently looked them very sternly in the eye and said, I'm only going to do this once. And then she started prancing around the room and singing on the good ship. Lot of <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's awesome. Uh, um, I've just got one thing on child stars and how to become mm. a child oh, star. Yeah, great. Because a bit late for us. A bit late for us, but you know, I, I've got a kid on the way, so I could actually get going on this. Um, which is there's a company called Jam 2000, and they're the agency that basically, when you see a baby in the UK on TV and like call the midwife, you know, even the crown of Sherlock, if there's a baby in it. Mm. It's a good chance that Jam 2000 gave them. So when the baby is born, the baby can get an acting license within a few hours of being born. In America, oh. it takes about 15 days. You've got to be 15 days old to get a worker's permit How for do you, acting. Do you need to audition? Like when you're coming out of the birth canal, you're going, America laugh. <laughs> exactly. So that's the issue. They say that often people complain, like this baby's crying all the time. They say, well, you just happen to have been given a crying baby. Unfortunately, that's yeah. the case. But they do have specifications that they like. So triplets or twins are particularly liked because mm, twins yeah. most likely are going to be born three weeks early. Triplets, in some cases, seven weeks early, right? Is, is that good? Uh, it's I good. guess they'll be extra small because they can they'll be a be bit older small. and they can look newborn. Exactly. Ideal. I actually you, thought yeah. it would be that they would only have to work for 20 minutes at a time because you can yeah, keep swapping them swapping in and out. That's the other, nice. that's the other reason. Right. So nice. when they're looking for tiny babies, twins are fantastic. They're tiny, but you can do double time because you've got two babies Although to swap babies in and out. babies look almost identical yeah, anyway. <laughs> so you would, you would think so, right? But so sometimes it's to do with hair and sometimes right. to do... But yeah, so the youngest at this company said that they've ever handed over as a four-day-old baby in order to be used. Yeah. And so th- it's a great article which just tells you about different times babies have been used. And just a little nugget for any Star Wars fans out there. In Star Wars Revenge of the Sith, we get to see Luke and Leia, who are twins that are born. Uh, right. Wait, um, that's episode three. Three. Yeah. yeah. So you get to see them as babies. And that's where you learn that they're brother and sister in the series. And the babies <sighs> that were used for that okay. were actually one, which was a oh, guy wow. called Aiden Barton. He plays both 
Luke and wow. Leia. Wow, really? Yeah. So when he's you like look at Alec them, Guinness and Kind Hearts and Coronets. <laughs> <laughs> he's, yeah, he's Eddie Murphy and then meet... Uh, what a reference for you to make, James. From someone who hasn't seen any films made before about 1987, for you to make a Kind Hearts and Coronets reference, what have you done with James? That's just someone who does a lot of quizzes. <laughs> um, also, sorry, can, that, yeah, I've not seen Star Wars. What are you talking about? So, Twins. Oh boy. Also, can I... Can I just, quick, sorry. No, 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 I sorry. know what you're going to say, and don't say it, because we're going... The point you find out in the series that yeah. Luke and Leia are siblings... Yeah. If okay, you James. start if you start episode one like a psychopath. James, where would you start? One. There we go. When's he well, gonna find asked, out? Come on, you've asked James, the only person who doesn't know when to start watching Star Wars, and I it, think that's an unfair sample. It's it's the first episode. There's a second episode, and you find <laughs> presumably out they wouldn't episode. have called them episode one, two, and three if they didn't want you to Thank watch you, them first, would they? Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. It's absolutely correct. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. Jabba the Hutt was actually played by a six week old baby. <laughs> <laughs> Very overfed. <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that there used to be a cinema in Melbourne, Australia, that had a cloakroom to keep your babies in. <laughs> what? <laughs> so this was this is called the Sun Theatre, and this was a place where when you were arriving at the cinema, you would have a cloakroom, but rather than leaving your coat in there, you would push your baby in its pram into the cloakroom, be given a ticket, and then go watch the movie. Now, obviously, you don't want to completely abandon your baby. So mm. while you're watching the movie, if your baby in the cloakroom kicks off and starts crying inconsolably, the ticket number that you hold will flash up on the screen of the movie to let you know that you're desperately needed in the cloakroom room so you can get out and look after your baby it's very clever brilliant hang yeah. on would it flash up for all the other members of the audience is it going to replace the image that was on the screen or is it a little thing in the corner that's subtle just like, a quick i think just a quick superimpose the number 29 whatever really? on i the think screen, that would mid-film. work i think that would be all right it'd be mid-film i don't know if it would be directly over the whole thing it might be in the corner, in the I, corner. I couldn't actually find that yeah, out it's a massive it's a corner i'll be so annoyed because babies cry constantly and if you've yeah. got you know, 50 babies um at a big blockbuster film in the cloakroom maybe you're just gonna be watching a series of numbers flashing up yeah, the yeah. The National Lottery. exactly <laughs> <laughs> so this um this it's a genius it was a very clever idea. And this Why was... do we not have it today? Exactly. Why don't mm. we? It seems like Probably a very... because people don't think they should just leave their babies. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'd leave my baby now that I say that out loud. Um, <laughs> oh, I... your baby's probably in the movie. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Busy in there. Yeah. Well, you do have baby cinema now, which yeah. we take my son yeah, to go and I see. I go to that. Yeah. yeah. We took... yeah. You really you really should take your child along. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I <laughs> The first movie that we took Wilf to see, Fenella, my wife, took Wilf to see, was uh, the movie that was on the biopic of Churchill that came out mm. uh, about four years so back. So all the babies look like Churchill. Yeah. <laughs> like Wilf was really into it because he was like, wow, it's me in a suit when I'm older. <laughs> this is amazing. Um, so this the Sun Theatre. It opened up in Melbourne in 1938 and it was a single screen theatre. It had 1,050 seats and it was it was really massive. It was, a, it was a big deal. And then over time, people stopped going as much and they had to sell and, and new owners turned it into smaller screens. So they stopped doing it. It's no longer a, a pr- you don't bring your pram in there anymore, which is a shame. It was, and I can't find any other cinema that did this. No, no I think yeah. it was just this one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there are people who've left their children in cloakrooms before. I won't go so far as to say this is a thing because it's not. Um, but in 1999, Tony Blair's chief of staff was a guy called Jonathan Powell. And oh, I remember Powell. 
Oh, those are the good old days, weren't they? Friend of friend of Anna's. <laughs> uh, he, anyway, he went to the Groucho Club and left his eight-week-old daughter with a cloakroom attendant, and that was. Oh, yeah. was really? And there was a brief comment about it, and then they the family complained, saying the child has a right to a private life. And I think the newspaper said, "Well, don't leave the child in the cloakroom." Then hmm. anyway, but the Observer uh, sent a reporter called Saskia Sessons, who took a colleague of hers, five-month-old baby, to various cloakrooms all over London. It's it's a great feature. Yeah, yeah. So King's Cross uh, left luggage office? Absolutely not. The Ivy Restaurant? Yes, please leave the baby with us. Mm. Oh, um, really? We'll stash him on a ledge. National Gallery oh, were yeah. incredibly rude to Saskia and really? her young friend. Oh. One of the cloakroom attendants said, out of the question. The second said, you need your head examined. And the third <laughs> said, that's very, very irresponsible. Good on you. Wow. I know. So, wait a minute. That was all in the same. That was all the same. Place. So she keeps saying, I want a second opinion. I want a third opinion. <laughs> but restaurants seem to be much more willing. The Oxo Tower Brasserie, which is a restaurant in London, said, Yes, of course. Please leave the baby with us. As I in, guess restaurants are smaller. So, you know, you can go to the parent if there's an issue. Whereas National Gallery, you feel like you could lose the parent forever. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one famous person left in a cloakroom is a character from Importance of Being Earnest. Oh, yeah. Left in a handbag in yeah. the station. Okay. Um, so, I thought I'd look into that play by Oscar Wilde. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so Oscar Wilde famously... <laughs> Can you tell I couldn't find anything else wow. about cloakrooms? <laughs> so he was famously um, brought up with charges of immorality, uh-huh. wasn't he? Because he was homosexual. Mm-hmm. And in 1952, there was a movie, the first movie made of the importance of being earnest. And it was directed by a guy called Anthony Asquith. And Anthony Asquith was the son of Herbert Henry Asquith, who was Home Secretary, and he was the one who brought the charges of immorality against Oscar Wilde, which got him oh, imprisoned in Reading Jail. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah, and so he was the one who got him imprisoned, and then his son was the director yeah. of the movie. Mm-hmm. That's really what a cool. Great full circle. Yeah. I, uh, I found some famous people who worked in cloakrooms. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. oh, cool. Mark Almond. Oh, from Soft the, Cell? Soft yeah. Cell. Of Tainted Love fame. Can I just ask, is that the most famous and you're going to less and less? Because I haven't heard of him. I'm going to switch <laughs> off for the rest. Don't worry. I actually, I started with the, my weakest one. Okay, oh, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Where did he work in the cloakroom? Sorry, did you say? Oh, oh mate. I Probably at the front bit <laughs> where you take people's clothes. <laughs> so he was high up in the role. Wow. <laughs> I didn't write it down. I'm sorry. Uh, Silla Black. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cloakroom attendant at the Cavern Club. Who else is on your list? Boy George. Boy George, oh, yeah. Nice. He, um, At the Culture Club, wasn't it? <laughs> Good. <laughs> nice. That's the band that Boy George was in. Thank you. Did you get it? Yeah. yeah. And Boy, and boy George though. is a singer in the band. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. I don't he, want to ruin every joke by asking, so sometimes yeah, yeah. I'll just stay quiet. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Karma Chameleon was their big hit. That didn't know. help the joke. <laughs> no, just I'm just helping Anna understand yeah, yeah. who this is. Yeah. Good to uh, learn. He was interviewed about it later, and he said, I was always riffling through pockets and handbags. Most people were too pissed to notice. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> any babies in the handbags? Uh, he didn't find any. <laughs> riffling, eh? Hey? In my notes, I've got riffing, but that can't possibly be true. No, I just would always say it rifling. Uh. That's better, and that is correct. <laughs> yep. Sorry. Yeah. Um, on, on cloakrooms. Oh, yeah. Uh, I read, so I think we've talked before about how popcorn wasn't really allowed in cinemas mm. until um, yeah. the third. And it was sort of post depression, I think, when everyone was so depressed. They were like, <laughs> let us have the popcorn. And also. Um, yeah, the, they the thought people would tread out. it into the nice carpets. Yeah. Well, they? before that, exactly, they thought people would tread it into the carpets. It was too noisy, and so you used to have to leave your popcorn in the cloakroom because people <laughs> set up popcorn stands all outside cinemas. That's so and they sell funny. it to you. Leave That's it in the cloakroom. Amazing, cool. just hand it in like a gun or something, and then you get it back, get it back afterwards. Yeah, yeah. you take a gun like to a gun, the yeah. cinema. 
No, sorry. I'm thinking of the thing in Old West. Every time someone looks at their phone in the middle of a movie. <laughs> and he... um, you got in a lot of trouble in your tour of sort of National Gallery clothes, <laughs> didn't you? <laughs> Keep my AK-47. Wasn't there a thing where you had to hand in your gun when you went to a, a Wild West bar? Uh, towns. Like a, most of the Wild West yeah. towns wouldn't allow guns yeah. inside so they would have a way to sort of stop you know yeah. that's what I think that's often what you I'm... had them taken at the periphery of the yeah. what we've talked about in it. fact I think we said that in the OK Corral yeah. the problem was the reason it happened is because they hadn't put their guns in the cloakroom before yeah. they arrived exactly. oh, that's, that's what I'm thinking of that's, yeah. that's my incredibly convoluted past of that yeah. actually speaking of weapons in cloakrooms Tell me something famous about the Houses of Parliament. Oh yeah, the swords in the cloakroom. You got a you got a place for your sword. There to are go. hooks. Yeah, in the cloakroom, so you can hang up your sword. Yeah, absolutely. If you go into the Houses of Parliament cloakrooms, all the coat hangers have a loop of pink ribbon around them, um, and that is for holding your sword because um, you're not allowed a sword in the chamber. <laughs> right. And, and is it, is I read it... a good expose oh. of oh. the fact that this uh, there's no evidence this is true. So various reasons. So the in the massive fire in eight in the 1830s when everything was destroyed, that was way after anyone would ever bring swords in, mm-hmm. and so it's weird that they would have the sword hooks. Um, but even mm-hmm. if they were for swords, the first mention that they were was 1928, and it was like an MP saying, hey, they've got ribbons there, and that's from the olden days because of the sword thing. And okay. actually, all the mentions before that say they were for a much more sensible item. Umbrellas. Ha- umbrellas. Ah. There you go. I've got a bit of Australian cinema news <laughs> just while we were oh, talking great. about oh, Aussie yeah. cinemas. Yeah, uh, Australia's longest-running pornographic cinema is finally going to shut down. Oh, um, wow. And according to the article, it's called the Crazy Horse Cinema. And according to the article, dozens of 90-year-old pensioners are going to be absolutely distraught because it's their <laughs> meeting place. There's there's a big group of what? 90- what did she say? <laughs> what was she doing? She's going to get a cold. <laughs> He's not a real plumber. <laughs> Sorry, what? Yeah, this is, you know, this this place has been open for many years and supposedly it's a really good meeting ground for a lot of these 90-year-old pensioners. So they all meet up there at 10 a.m. Um, this is <laughs> very, very early to start. Very early. <laughs> it's, it's, well, this comes from a quote from the lady. They they come and they do their thing in the morning. Oh, disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. They come and then they have the meeting. <laughs> Uh, they, yeah, they could come and do their thing in the morning, whatever that is they do, and then they go and maybe do some shopping for the wife and maybe have some lunch and then come back if they like. What oh, they get is all male pensioners. It's male pensioners and they get a ten dollar pensioner all day ticket uh to the porno cinema. What? Um, so sorry, when they're having this meeting, is it in the cinema it's while not really the a film? meeting, is it? It's sort of like well, a gathering. I even a, think as right. a teenager I wouldn't be able to get my money's worth from an all day <laughs> ticket <laughs> on a graphic cinema. Viagra <laughs> sales. In Australia, <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, they've been so these guys, these ninety-year-olds, have been going for twenty years. So you know, they were a, you know a, a, a fruity, fresh seventy-year-olds at the time. Um, and yeah, and then um, obviously oh, the, these lads are going to be thrilled when they find out about the internet. <laughs> well, <laughs> <there you go. laughs> yeah, that's Good that's gosh. you know. So they're distraught at the moment, and it's closing this year. This is from this this year. This article. Good. The crazy. <laughs> The crazy horse. Knock it, knock it down. Sow the ground with salt. I don't I know. It keeps them out for the full day. <laughs> judging by the sounds of these men. Sounds What's like something that the wise would yeah. yeah. Is popcorn allowed? Um, I bet the carpet's got bigger concerns, actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is Anna. 
My fact this week is that the original vapes were Pez dispensers. <laughs> uh, so, you know, um, for people in the UK who maybe don't, Pez dispensers are like those sweet holders. Uh, they're a huge deal in America, right? They're kind of uh, tubes that hold sweets and they have a funny head on top. Well, yeah, so you got a little funny head and you, you tip the head back and it's like an elevator system where <laughs> the latest sweet God. that's sitting on top arrives at the top, bing, and you get to pull it out <laughs> and it's a little rectangular sweetie. Like a brick, but much smaller. Exactly, like a tiny brick. <laughs> built, yeah. yeah, if you were it's building a, a house for an elf. Imagine if you were building a house, yeah. uh, but you had an elevator and every time you needed to put a brick on, the brick had to come up in an elevator. <laughs> yeah. And then it would come out. And, well, this is a classically helpful no such thing as a fish explainer the, the lucky thing is everyone knows what a pez dispenser is that was a waste of your time and ours yeah <laughs> it's yeah it's a little and you do you are you gonna, I think, so you're gonna try as well, well i think of them as as kind of confectionery staplers because you, you have to load in a cartridge you of load sweets don't yes. you and you like some staples yes. that's actually the best uh, simile that we've had so far that was so. actually really good yeah <laughs> we'll allow it anyway yeah. pez sweets were created in 1927 uh in vienna and people smoked them People <laughs> load them into their cigarettes. Um, no, but they were created by a guy called Edward Haas III, and he was an anti-smoking campaigner. Thought it was bad for your health. Well done. Very forward-thinking mm. of him. And he wanted to create a tablet that helped people to cut down on smoking or overeating. Mm. And mm. so they were these mint tablets, and that was what they were explicitly for. Early advert said no smoking, pezzing allowed, mm. like vaping. Mm. And then when the dispensers came about in the 50s, they are sort of, well, the first ones were shaped so like really like cigarette lighters. And yeah. that like, they were for adults, marketed very much for adults. Very, And they, they used to send women in sort of like quite um, cleavage heavy dresses around in vans. <laughs> sort of, Low yeah. cuts, we call them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 cleavage heavy, not a word. Okay. Just wearing a very cleavage heavy top tonight. <laughs> your, your saucy fashion show, Dan, the descriptions are not good. Um, they said they, they do look a bit like lighters, but according to Sean Peterson, who is the historian at Pez Candy Incorporated, <laughs> uh, they were only designed that way to fit into pockets. Mm. Uh, it's just a coincidence oh. that they look like lighters because lighters are also designed to go into pockets. Yeah, yes. I did. I did hear that Pez Candy Incorporated does have an official historian. And yep. I thought Sean Peterson. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a, it's a very light historian gig, as in it's a very very small area of history. I reckon he does other stuff. You'd have to. I You'd think have to, usually like... the historians in these kind of companies are actually someone who does another job, but in their spare time they kind I'm, of. I'm sure you're right because otherwise you'd feel like a fool turning up at a historian's conference and you're like, "What do you study? Oh, the 19th century mostly. What about you?" <laughs> uh... You yeah. sat next to Mary Beard on one side and Dan Snow on the other side. <laughs> Um, but yeah, they were. It was until they came to America that they still, even when the dispensers were added, you know, this was a way to give up smoking. And apparently, it was only when they went to America in the fifties and tried to market them there, and they were targeting adults. Here's how to quit smoking. America didn't have the same appetite to quit smoking. I think maybe there wasn't such a campaign back then as there was in Austria, yeah. um, right. saying this is bad. And so they thought, let's start putting fun, um, turning them into fun kid shapes and marketing yeah. them to children. Yeah, Amazing. and changing the taste, obviously, of the thing from a sort of anti-smoking nicotine. Uh, well, there wasn't there was peppermint. No, no, but as in, as in, they changed it to sweeties. They made, yeah, they were, yes. but yeah, they were but always minty. They yes. were always minty yeah, at yeah. the start because that's where the name comes from. It comes from the German for peppermint. Oh, yeah. Mm. Weirdly, one of the first flavors they had was chlorophyll. Yeah. What? So what, yeah. what is that? It's the, it's, what is, it's the green it's stuff the, you get in leaves. It's hard ah. to know what it tastes like. Exactly. I've never thought of it. It tastes like grass, I reckon. 
I, th- I would imagine so too, but it's such a weird flavour. Um, can we talk about Ed- Edward Haas, the third? Haas. Yes. Yeah. So Haas. it's a really interesting family because they, so his, right, his father, Edward Haas the second, was a baked goods merchant. Mm-hmm. Okay, so sold baking powder. Um, and his father, Edward Haas. It's not ha- actually a baked goods. Good, is it? It's a good for baking. <laughs> what a good point. It's a baking goods. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I stand corrected. Okay. Um, right. But Go basically, uh, Edward, Edward III seems to have invented the first ready-made cake mixture. It's a huge deal. So wait a minute. Was this well the, the one who did Pez? Or is the this one who did Pez, the okay. third. Yeah, yeah the th- the guy, Edward III is the guy who did uh, Hassan for the baking of health sponge cakes. Um, Edward's grandfather, Edward Haas I. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've read I've read one reference to this. I cannot find any more detail anywhere, but there's a source online which claims that he died as a result of medical experiments he did on himself. Okay. Oh, yeah. There's no further evidence I that, uh, that, that I've found. So if you know, please write in and enlighten us because it's... Oh, my it's, God. What could it it's be? It's not clear what he was doing to himself. They're there, in the baking industry. What could he have done? He, was he added too pa- much bicarbonate of soda <laughs> I mean, to himself. He wanted to know how hot to bake things, so he tested the temperature himself. Sat, sat in the oven. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, I mean, Did he cut just, a hole in his neck so he could dispense loaves of bread when he took <laughs> his head back? <laughs> it's so unclear what what he did there's no there's no further detail so wow. mystery so the evolution of the pez dispenser itself is mm. is very exciting you know uh poor house the has the third didn't yeah. get to see the feet that were added to the bottom of a pez oh. dispenser yeah. to allow it to Tragic. stand wow. yeah. that was a big innovation it's the it's the pez we know and love um that was 1987 i believe wasn't that was it? in 87 and they had they had weird designs before so before they they added the feet there was one in 1956 they invented a sort of space gun and also, from what I've seen, regular-looking guns. So the idea is that the gun would oh, shoot pistol. out. Yeah. It's like a pistol would yeah. shoot out the pez at the end into your mouth. Um, and <laughs> you have to put the gun in your mouth? I think so. It doesn't seem <laughs> like... Um, the guy who set up the pez dispenser, yeah. with, as we know it, is mm. a guy... Well, the guy who was in charge of the decision, basically, was a man called Curtis Alina, who was uh, European. He was born in Prague in 1922. He was Jewish. And that was not a good time to be born Jewish in Central Europe, in Prague. His family were all sent to concentration camps. He was the only surviving member of his family in Europe after the war. Hmm. He went to the USA um, and he started working for Pez. But the the US and the European Pez were kind of two different camps. They were quite quite remote from each other. They weren't really tied together. And he had to persuade the Viennese outfit. They wanted serious, sober, grown-up mints, you know, adult Hmm. mints. Uh, that this dispenser thing was a good idea. But I just, I mention all of this because there's a weird link to Sigmund Freud, who was from Vienna. Okay. Right. So I'm trying to copy the old James Hagen full circle here. <laughs> but the link is not just that they're both in Vienna. Well, he lived across the street from Sigmund Freud oh, okay. when he was a boy, supp- oh, supposedly. Wow. So, uh-huh. And there was this brilliant website I found, which is called freudsbutcher.com, which is about the history of Sigmund Freud by an author called Edie Jarolim. She's great. It's a blog about genealogy, psychology, and meat. Okay. <laughs> That's the, um, and there's a theory that she posits that Edmund Haas, Edward Haas III might have been considering Freud's theory of oral fixation when he came up with the idea of substituting peppermint sweets for cigarettes. Oh, I see. Not oh. that the, the Pez dispenser looks a bit like a penis. <laughs> no, no, that's not. Although that's an excellent evolution of the theory. Um, maybe he was only thinking about it subconsciously. I see. But wouldn't that be appropriate given that it's a Freud? Yeah, what a, what no. a load of absolute <laughs> balls. Oh, he happened to live opposite Freud. What weird convoluted <laughs> thing can we attribute to that? You're I mean, right. So she says it's a 
a huge stretch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She yeah, says yeah, that yeah. as well. She also says that. Oh, okay, yeah. I, um, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> so have you guys come across Steve Glue? Oh no! The well, Pez Outlaw. The Pez Outlaw. <laughs> Self styled. I can't believe I genuinely got like a tingle of goosebumps when you both got excited by that. Who's well, Steve Glue? He is basically the king of collecting Pezes. Right. Mm. So he would go to Europe and he would get all of these really, really rare Pezes. Mm. Sometimes digging through garbage to try and get ones which wow. had been thrown out, cool. and then he would take them back to America and he would sell them to Pez um, enthusiasts. And he said at one stage he was making. 4.5 million dollars or he made that much in total selling Pez candy dispensers that wow. he'd taken from Eastern Europe and sold in America and it seemed to be there was some kind of loophole in terms of importing them or well, well he just sort of snuck through customs oh, okay. quite a lot yeah, with yeah. them and right. it was it honestly so this is where, where I first where was he hiding them he... <laughs> <laughs> I think often they didn't check <laughs> it's just the right shape <laughs> that's why they're shaped like that it wasn't, it wasn't one per trip I think that would be <laughs> profitable. Just a little Mickey Mouse head sticking out of his rectum. <laughs> Help yourself to one while you're down there. Um, yeah, this is how I came across this fact initially. I was reading a review of Pez, the Pez Outlaw, which yeah. is coming out this year, I think. Cool. And it's a film based on his adventures. And yeah. it sounds proper exciting stuff. It was him and his son, who's an equally avid collector. And he was real down and out, like wasn't making any money until yeah. he came across this big scam where he'd fly to Eastern Europe, go into factories and basically bribe factory workers to give him a bunch oh. of pez he knew would be incredibly valuable but they you know they drive around in this truck apparently his son said he'd drive 24 hours straight he'd be so tired that he often crashed the truck um but just just kept plugging away wow and um had he had this amazing rival called Patek who was another Pez <laughs> uh, guy who sort of got also got first dibs in the factories and flogged Pez wow. and apparently at one point Glue pursued Patek across Austria in a car chase and wow. said that they, they like drove on, on uh, pavements, they were on the wrong side of the road they had to bribe police with Pez dispensers full of cash he claimed <laughs> what? Pez it could only be tiny little son teams <laughs> yeah, exactly. coming out. they went with notes apparently, I don't know how Did many they? notes you can fit in a couple oh, of hundred on. dollar bills maybe yeah okay. but then of course big pez got involved right big did, pez did and they? so this guy decided he sort of did a little bit of a deal with a guy in hungary and said that this guy would make extras for him and they were discontinued oh. ones as well sometimes so they'd be really really good expensive you know rare pezes this guy in hungary would make them for him and he would buy loads of them and then take them back to america and sell them but one day he logged into the Pez website and he found a new section called Misfit Dispensers. And it was all the ones that he'd bought from this guy in Hungary, but Pez was selling them for like a dollar each. And they basically just flooded the market with with other ones. And he reckons that it left him um, $250,000 in debt, this one trick. And when he rang up this broker in Hungary and said, what's happened? Why are they doing this? The broker said, the right hand knows what the left is doing. So basically, it was all a scam. They just basically fitted him up. That's extraordinary. That's amazing. So the dispenser was made by someone called Oscar Uxa or Uha. Um, And his patent actually said that it would be helpful for people who have only one hand. So it was a way of dispensing sweets from a box, but you only need one hand to do it. 
Uh, mm. And that's what it says in the patent. Wow. It's useful for people. But, with that's why that's why it's so useful, actually, for the pensioners at Dan's Blue Movie Cinema <laughs> who want to have a hand free and enjoy yeah. the cinema Dan's snacks. Blue Movie Cinema, <laughs> as it is otherwise known. As it will be known, because they're selling it, aren't they're they? Selling they're selling it. I have it in my bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because in the patent, it says it's important not only for persons who have only one hand, but also persons who often have only one hand free. Right. There we go. Uh, <laughs> or whose occupation causes their hands to become smeared with dirt. Well, this is wow. all brilliant news, Dan. Yeah. Get in touch with your trumps. Freud's penis dispenser in one hand and your actual <laughs> penis in the other. <laughs> Okay, that's it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, Andy. At Andrew Hunter M. James. At James Harkin. And Anna. You can email podcast at qi.com. Yep, or you can go to our group account, which is at no such thing, or our website, no such thing as a fish.com. Check out all of our previous episodes up there. Make sure to check out Club Fish. We have exciting things hidden in a secret club, like extra compilation episodes, and drop us a line where we go through the mailbag and share our favorite stories and facts that you've sent in. Otherwise, just come back here next week where we will be here waiting for you with another episode. We'll see you then. Goodbye. <laughs>